we're, we're just looking at uh, subjects um, that I believe the Lord has led me to over these next couple of weeks, and then we're going to go uh, in September into a prayer series that is going to last us right the way through to Christmas. So we're really excited about what the Lord is going to do through that prayer series, and over the next couple of weeks, possibly next Sunday, from quarter to 10 to 10 o'clock, we're just going to be praying here in the room, interceding and just declaring um, seeking the Lord for whatever the picture or whatever scripture or something, a person, whatever. We're just going to be seeking the Lord and just declaring his goodness, um, an open window in this place so that God can move in and through our lives without any hindrance. So if, you, if you're a prayer and you love the presence of God, um, next Sunday, quarter 10 to 10 o'clock, uh, feel free to join us and it's just going to be a great time together. So just throw that out to you as well. So as I was considering, you know, being a, a, a pastor or a minister is it's really a strange thing because you, you, you prepare a word, you come along to a Sunday meeting, you share what you believe the Lord has laid on your heart, and then on Monday morning you start again. You know, it's, it's, it, when I was a postman many, many years ago, it was, it was, I knew what I was going to be doing on Monday. I was going to be putting letters through the door Tuesday, but... Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every day of the week, it was led us through the door, same sort of routine. And for many of us in life, it's the same sort of routine. But I've got to have something different every Sunday, or else you're going to throw eggs at me or walk out the door. And, and it's one of those strange things that, you, on, for me, on a Monday morning, I go, Lord, what is it that you want to say? What is it you want me to be sharing with your people? Thankfully, um, when I first started as a pastor, I said, Lord, I need it on Monday so that I've got time throughout the week to, to really get this in my heart so that I'm living it and then I can share it. And, I, and God has been completely faithful. There's been times that I've not heard and I've got to Thursday, Friday thinking, Lord, please give me something to share. But most of the time, Monday morning, bang, there's a word. And, and I believe that this is one of those words, and it's from the book of Haggai, or Haggai, depending how you pronounce him, a small book in the Old Testament, just two chapters long, and there's some thoughts there that I just want to start with, which is then a springboard to where I believe the Lord has taken us. And, and there's just some things here that I think, this is amazing what you're saying, and it, and it connects and relates to us as the church today, or to us as God's people. But before we get into reading from the book of Haggai, Haggai, we're gonna, I'm going to call him Haggai, all right? I've always known him as Haggai. You can call him Haggai, but for my sake, I'm not going to repeat myself all morning long, all right? But before we get there, I'm going to ask you two simple questions. And these two simple questions, really, I want as you to search your heart. Because if you knew that Jesus was going to return in six weeks... Without a shadow of a doubt, there were, I know no one knows the time or the date. I, I get that, right? I'm not, not changing scripture. But all of a sudden, we knew the, the signs and the times and the seasons, and we knew in six weeks' time Jesus was coming back. For us as individuals, he was going to rapture his church to go to be with him forever and ever. What, what were my questions? What would you change in your life right now? That's a good question to ask yourself. Ah, oh, if I knew that Jesus was coming back in just six weeks' time, what would I do to change in my life? And the second question is this, would it make you consider your ways? 
Are there things in our life or the areas in our life we would tighten up, we would change, we would discard, we would whatever? It's just two questions. Because nobody knows the day or the hour. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And if you have some, some prophecy that the Lord's coming back in three months' time or seven months' time, or, they're a false prophet, okay? Because nobody knows the date or the time. Times and seasons, yes, I believe we're in times and seasons. If you look around the world, you look at the society that we're in, you can tell that we are very close to the coming of the Lord. As it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, so will it be when the Son of Man returns and the evidence of that is all around us in our society today. Sodom and Gomorrah and were only known for one thing and one thing only, and our society is pre- prevalent in, in how it looks at this world. But the book of Haggai says this, in verse, chapter 1, verse 2. And if you look on the big screen, you will see it. If you've got a Bible, you can read it. Um, I have my Bible here, but I'm not going to read it from there. I'm going to read it from this translation here. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. And, And it astounds me that the Lord's people have the gall, the guts, the nerve to be able to turn around and say, it's not time that the Lord's house is built. Wow, okay. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled homes or panelled houses and this temple lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You know, consider your attitude. You could have have turned around and said, look, you've got a bit of an attitude here. Consider that. Consider where you're going with your thought here. Then he goes on to say, you have so much and bring in little. You eat but you do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put in a bag with holes. Come on, who, who wants to live this kind of lifestyle? That, that, that's not for me. That's not, for, that's not what I want. I, I, want my, I want to earn wages to increase. I want to earn wages so that I can put some in the savings. I don't want it just to fall through the holes in my pocket or the holes in my bag. I, I look at this and I think, uh, they've got to consider their ways. Things aren't working out as they should for them. Then he carries on. He says, you have so much and bring in little. Sorry, I've read that. Um, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He says it a second time. He says, go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. Well, we, number, number one, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are his dwelling place. I look at this and I think there's personal responsibility. I can't take responsibility for your spiritual well-being, for your journey, your walk of, of faith in God. I can't take responsibility for that. Here, he says, consider your ways and now you go and do. Do something yourself. You are the temple of the living God. But on the flip side or the the secondary side of that, we also are the house of God. So you can look at it personally and you can look at your own personal life. And then you can also look at us as the congregation or the household of faith. And we can consider our ways here. 
He says, go up into the mountain, bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it. We all have that responsibility so that God can take pleasure in our life. That he can look at our life and say, hey, they, they're walking in the fruit of the Spirit. They're walking in my ways. They're seeking first the kingdom of God. And I believe that is us taking responsibility for our life. That we're putting the word of God in our heart. That we are, we're, we're having a personal devotional walk and intimacy with the Lord for ourselves. I think that is so important. But then also, I believe it considers us that God takes pleasure in it and is glorified, says the Lord. And then he says, you looked for much, but indeed it came to nothing. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because my house is in ruins while every one of you runs to your own house. Now, you could look at that and say, hey, you know, they, they were meant to be building the house of God, but actually... Rather than serving in the house of God, they were, willing, they were willing to attend, but they weren't willing to roll up their sleeves and say, how, how can I help? They just went running off to their own homes. It, you, can, you can see how this connects so clearly in our lives. And then in verse 10, it says, Therefore, the heavens above you, with, uh, sorry, therefore, the heavens above you withheld their dew. The earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, and the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and all the labor of your hands. Now that's Old Testament and law-based, but there's a principle that follows through. And it's the principle that I want us to consider this morning as we consider personally our ways as we walk with him. But it's also how we apply, because the Word of God in, in the Old Testament is a type and a picture. We know that it's a type and a picture of how, what, and what we need to apply to our lives today. It's interesting that in verse 2, if we read verse 2 again, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says the time has come, or the time has not come, that we build the house of the Lord. If you look through the Old Testament over and over again, the Bible says... When God is speaking about his people, he calls them my people, not this people. There was something that was going on that had displeased God. And clearly, it was their priorities. Their priorities were selfish. They were self-indulging. It was about me first, not God first. It was about what I have, not what he has. And they were seeking their own pleasure, their own paneled homes, rather than building the house of God. And I just really, really want to challenge us this morning. Where is our heart? I'm so thrilled to see um, some, some younger people serving in our hosting, in, in the hospitality area. I said, it's great, absolutely fantastic. But what else can we do as we build the house of God here? In this place. I, I, it got me to consider a few things. As I was reading this and I was considering it, and I began to ponder, what was their problem? You know, they, God wasn't saying, I don't want you to have paneled homes and nice places. I don't want you to. He wasn't saying that. He's saying, look, your priority is wrong. You've got it in the wrong order. Jesus teaches, seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, 
and then all these other things will fall into place. You know, we can't add stature to our height by worry. We can't clothe the lilies of the field ourselves like they are. He was saying, look, in comparison, don't worry about all these other things. Don't worry about how you're going to clothe yourself, how you're going to provide for yourself, how you're going to do this, that, and the other. Seek me first and righteousness, and I will make sure all these other things will come into your life. I don't know how, and I don't know who through, but I do know God can do. Over and over again, over the years when we've prayed and we've sought the Lord, and we've walked in difficult financial times over the years, but God has always come through. And I absolutely know it's because we put Him first. When we were, when we were really struggling financially, and we were minus every single month. Jane taught me how to tithe and how to apply my faith to tithing. I didn't get it. It did not make sense to me. And then I grew in understanding through our conversations and through the Word of God, and I began to understand that it's a supernatural process. It's not, I give that away, and therefore, because I've sown that, I'm going to see this happen. It's supernatural. It's not like throwing seed in the ground and seeing the grass grow. That's a natural process that God put into the earth. Every seed will produce after its own kind. But when it comes to finance, it becomes a spiritual thing. And God increased. I couldn't understand it. We were still minus 40 pounds a month, and that was our tithe. And we still gave our tithe, and God made things work. I can't work it out still. When we left our family home 17 years later, I, I went into the bank and I explained that we're moving house, and the bank manager turned around and said to us, I don't know how you've kept your payments in your house going. I can't remember if he said it's miraculous. I, he, but he said, I don't understand how you've kept your payments going. But God. But God. I want to say that to encourage you. God knows how his word works. He knows how to make the principles work for us. We just need to apply the principle and walk by faith. Walking by faith doesn't mean I need a plan of how this works. It just says, I believe you, I trust you, I'm going to do it your way, not my way. So here they've got this, this issue going on in their lives. God's saying, I build my temple. They say, no, we're enjoying our paneled homes. <laughs> it just doesn't seem right, does it? You know, we all like a bit, well, no, I, I qualify that. There's a lot of guys that love DIY, DIY. There's a lot of ladies that love DIY. As for me, I was going to say in my household, as for me, I can't stand DIY. <laughs> the reason being is for years, I didn't have the tools. I couldn't afford the tools. So we couldn't, I didn't have the tools to do it. So I was always doing makeshift jobs of jobs, and it frustrated me. And I got to the point I hated doing DIY. <laughs> so if there's anybody that likes painting or decorating or just come and see me afterwards 
So what was their problem? There could be several problems, okay? This was their problem. This, they say, this is not the time to build the house. Do you know what? We could feel, bit, feel flipping it forward. We could also be in that same position. It's not yet time for me to serve. I'm new, or I'm a new Christian. I don't see that in the Bible. The fact that the, the day they got saved in the book of Acts, they were also baptized in water, and I believe they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. It, it wasn't a case of just hang fire, slow down a little bit. Do you know what? It's much easier to tame a wild stallion than it is to motivate a dying donkey. All right? I wish that we were all stallions... I'm not going to say anything about the dying donkeys, all right. But we, we just got to, we got to be, you know, we got, we, we got to look, we can't be looking for excuses of why we can't. Let's look for reasons why we can. We got to be a can-do. I, I believe as Christians, we got to be, we, we got to be can-do people. Why? Because we can do all things. We know the scripture, don't we? So we are a we-can people. Yes. We can. Come on, you say it with me. We can. You, you, you think I'm setting you up now. We can clear the car park of all the weeds. We can keep on top of the grass that's growing like mad. We can decorate. Come on, we can. We're, we can people, aren't we? We can do all things through Christ, the anointed one, who strengthens me. We can. If God came along and said, I want you to build a boat... With the amount of rain that we've been having recently, I want you to build a boat. He didn't turn around to Noah and say it's going to take you 120 years. But when Noah opened the plans, he must have thought, goodness me, this is going to take 120 years. <laughs> but Noah was a we can kind of person. We can. Me and my family are going to build this boat. We can do it. Do you know what? We can build his house. Better is a day in the house of the Lord than 10,000 elsewhere. Better to be in the house. He who is planted in the house of the Lord, planted. You know, you get any plant. I spoke to someone the other day. I was, was it you? I spoke to someone. I said, uh, you know, this, yeah, I think it was, it was my wife I spoke to. <laughs> And, and you, get, you, you, get, you get Christians who, who the Bible is very clear. He who is planted in the house shall flourish in the courts of the Lord, all right? He who is planted, who is established. But you get Christians who go from here to here to here to here to here. And I, it was, where was it? It's lavender. I was pointing to some lavender. Okay, yeah, I know who it was. Anyway, I was, <laughs> I was sat in a garden center next to the lavender. <laughs> as you do, and I was chatting to this person, this guy, and I said, look, if I was to... See, it wasn't Jane, it was, it was a guy. It wasn't, it wasn't Jane, it was a guy. I was, I was doing a pastoral catch-up with someone. And I said, look, look at this lavender. If I dug up this piece of lavender, and I then, because garden centres have got pots everywhere, and I put this in the pot over there, 
And then next week I say, right, I'm going to dig you up again. I'm going to move you over there. And then next week I dig you up and I put you over there. They're all going into pots, but that plant would die. We're, we're called a family, the body. I, it's a strange analogy where people think going to this church and going to that church and going to another congregation. Go, Do you know what? If we're called to be a family, I've got a large family. It's a lovely family. I've got a large family, all right? But I won't go to their next door neighbor and ring the doorbell and say, I just want to be a part of your family today. <laughs> it doesn't work, does it? If you use the... The Bible talks about... You know what I'm saying? It's just a weird analogy. And then, and, then, and then we're called the body of Christ. We're the body together. And when we, we work together, we function together. But next week I chop off my arm and say it's going to go over there. It doesn't make sense. We are a part of the wider body of Christ. I get that. But we are a small part of the wider body. And we function that doesn't mean that we're separated from churches together or other churches that work well. Da, da, da. No, 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 none of that. But he who is planted in the house will flourish in the courts of our God. So there could have been issues in their life, and they, they, could, have got, they could have got burnt at some point. And people in church get burnt. They have a bad experience. They have a bad time in some particular situation. They think, I'm never going to go to church again. Or eventually they go back to church and they say, I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to get involved because I got hurt last time around. That is exactly what could have been happening in their heart. Or they could have looked at their previous experience and thought, I'm not going there again. What was their previous experience? This is where we go to the book of Ezra. In the book of Ezra, chapter 4, now, this bunch of people that it's going to be talking about happened to be the very first time the Bible talks about the Samaritans. And the Samaritans and the Jews um, never got on particularly well. And, and there was issues. And from what I gather, the Samaritans worshipped other gods as well as the God of Israel, but they worshipped many other gods. And they had issues, and, and they were classed as being unclean by the children of Israel. But this is the very first time um, it's, it's mentioned, it doesn't say Samaritans, but this is where the Samaritans lived. It says, then the people of the land, Samaritans, tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. We need to be aware. We need a wake-up call that we're not doing the enemy's work for him. I, I want to pull out three things in this particular verse that I believe are really important. See, if we flip forward, how many years? 2,543 years, approximately, from when that was written to today, from Haggai and, and from Ezra. We can look at our hearts and consider our ways. So I want us to find three things. Three things, clearly. I want to read this again. And the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. Discouragement, number one. Number two, they troubled them in building. Number three, this is extreme, they hired counselors against them to frustrate 
the, their purposes all their days. If you don't know it, I want you to know today there is a purpose from God for your life. There is a purpose for which you're here on earth. There is a purpose that God wants to use you all the days of your life. And these people were hired in to distract them from living out their purpose. I believe the same thing happens in the church today. So let's wake up to how the enemy works. Let's go, number one, trouble. they troubled them. I know that was probably number two, but we're going to go for that one first. They troubled them. Trouble being used by the enemy is a tactic that he actually uses on a regular basis throughout the Bible. It's caused, he troubles, what he does, is, it's like if you look at water, lake, and you throw a stone in the lake, what happens? You get the initial plop as the, as the stone goes in. And then the waters are troubled, or the ripple effect goes out. That is exactly what trouble is. It troubles the water. And that's what happens in church at times when we can trouble each other, or what does it mean? Uh, stirring up discord and disturbance, disunity, and division. It's called trouble. And those things cause ripples on the water. And it happens numerous times. I, I want to read another scripture in Nehemiah chapter 7. And we know in the, in the book of Nehemiah, he's building the city walls. And it's interesting how, again, the enemy, and do you know what? What friendly fire, we can do the enemy's work for him. Um, and very often he can just leave the church to self-destruct because we trouble one another with discord and disturbance. But here in Nehemiah, it says, Nehemiah 4, 7, it says, but when Sambalat, Tobiah, and the Arabs and the Amorites and the people of Ashod heard the news, heard that the repairs of Jerusalem, sorry, heard the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. They were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem. That's one thing. They were going to come and fight and to stir up trouble against them. It's interesting, all these armies were going to come together and fight, but they were also going to cause trouble. They, I believe they were going to use their, their skills to, to get into the, the groups of Israel as they were building on their wall, on their part, and just begin to infiltrate, and then in doing so, speak negatively. Oh, that never worked, that will never change, that never happens Oh, I don't like this. Oh, I don't like that. This is better somewhere else. This is better somehow else. And all the negative voices will begin to stir up trouble. We've got to be on guard that we personally, as an individual, are not a troublemaker, a spiritual troublemaker. The, I, I love the fact that the, we, we're called to build up, aren't we? We're called to strengthen one another. We're, we're meant to encourage one another. We're meant to be like, I think a few weeks ago, I, I spoke about let the heart, the Barnabas heart of his church rise up again, where we are encouragers to one another rather than knocking the legs away and causing someone to fall. Let's be encouragers 
in the house of the Lord. The second thing is this. They hired counsellors against them to frustrate their purpose. What has God called you to do? I guess the first thing for all of us is to find our calling, our purpose for which we're here on earth. You know, whatever that purpose is, then run with the purpose of God in your life. But they hired counsellors to go against them and to frustrate. How often do we sit there and we become frustrated with how things are? And that frustration then begins to build. You know, this word frustrate, um, it comes from the word frustra, meaning vain, which is translated from the word para, which means to break, to make void, or to bring to nothing. So here, when the building of the walls in Nehemiah's time, they were trying to frustrate them, to break them, I believe emotionally, in the amount of work that they were doing, the amount of time. I, I can imagine if, if, this, if the enemy could have got in to frustrate, there would have been certain individuals who would have turned around and say, why have we been given the dung gate to look after? You know, those who looked after the dung gate, dung gate means there was lots of waste, human, animal waste, and they had to build that part. Uh, uh, who, who would have volunteered? <laughs> Praise the Lord for volunteers. <laughs> so you, you may have volunteered, but you wouldn't have had many mates for a while until you decontaminated. But do you know what? It, the, why, why, I can tell you why you were given the dung gate. They don't actually like you that much. They wanted to see what you're made of. They wanted to see whether you'd stay faithful to the, the task in hand. Nobody else wanted it, so they gave it to you. That would annoy me. I know you're more holy than me, but that would annoy me. They gave it to you because nobody else would have done it. That would frustrate me. Nobody else was prepared to do it, so they gave it to me. And that is what the enemy wants to do amongst us. He wants to frustrate your purpose. You may, you may be an intercessor and a prayer. You may be a worshiper. You may be a worshiper, but you, there's someone taller than you in front of you every week, and you can't see the screen. Or you're sat behind a pillar, and it's so frustrating because I have to sort of dodge around the room to be able to see everybody in the room. There's things that can frustrate us, can't they? Come on, let's be honest. There's things that can frustrate us in life. There's things that frustrate us about church. Do you know one of my greatest frustrations is why do we not see the miracles that I know that you said we can? Why are we not seeing them? It frustrates me. I have to keep going back to the Lord saying, Lord, I know you're not withholding those things. Why, when I lay hands on the dead, according to your word, you say, and they will be raised up again, why have I not yet seen it, and yet I've prayed for so, so too many people that have died? Why haven't I not? Because I believe that I will see those things because the word says so, not because I'm any good. 
because he says we will lay hands on the sick and we'll see them recover. We will speak to dead things and they will rise again. I believe what the word says. Not in my ability, I can assure you. But we can get frustrated. And the third one is this. The people of the land tried to discourage the people. I'm so pleased that we sang that song today. And I can't remember the words, but I know it had discouraged in it. And I thought, ah, that's a great song to sing today. So one with, before the kids went out. Was it Oceans? There's no discouragement in notions. <laughs> Crush disappointment? Could be. Disappointment? Discouragement? Yeah, it could have been. I could have been my head going on, on one. But discouragement is dangerous. If you've ever been discouraged, you felt... See, when, when you feel discouragement rest on you, what was a heavy load feels much heavier. What seemed difficult seems much more difficult. And, and discouragement is, is so painful to journey with. Coming the other side, it's like being released from this weight, this, this heaviness that was on my life. Discouragement can cause you to quit your goals and stop your fight. Well, we've been through some difficult and discouraging days over the last while. <laughs> but I tell you what, we're not going to stay and we're not going to allow that discouragement to rest on our shoulders. That's why we're worshippers. That's why we worship with everything that we got, because it's that moment of surrender, allowing God to have control of every situation, regardless of the journey that we're on. It's all to Jesus we surrender. We surrender it before him, and we allow him. Cast all your burdens on the Lord. It's so easy to carry those things that are heavy and weighty in our life. But no, we cast those on him and allow him to carry them in the journey of our life. The Hebrew word for discouragement is, or discourage, is rapper. Now, if you listen to rap music, it, I guess it's a bit <laughs> discouraging. I'm not into rap, okay? And if anybody is, that's fine for you. But it, 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 there's nothing that brings life to me on it, I'm sorry to say. But anyway, it means to weaken, to forsake, to let go, to slacken. Discouragement weakens our resolve, and it can cause us to forsake our dreams. Another word for discouragement in Hebrew is ma massa, and it means to faint, to melt, to dissolve, or to waste away. If the enemy can keep you down and discouraged, he can defeat you. The joy of the Lord the joy of the Lord. Come on, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Oh, I, don't, I may not feel happy, but I can release joy. Because joy is a spiritual. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, temperance, self-control. They are the fruit of the Spirit that I received all. I don't receive a part. I received all of the Spirit of God when He came to live in me. So did you. We didn't receive a little dib-dab of joy and a little dib-dab of patience and a little dib-dab of faith. He gave us all 
And we develop that. We draw from the wells of salvation. We draw from the well of patience. We may, you, if you turn around and say, oh, I don't have much patience. You do. You just don't exercise that patience that God has given you. You may, you may say, well, I'm not really a joyful person. Well, you may not look particularly happy, but you have all joy in your heart. And you have joy unspeakable and full of glory. But if you're not drawing from the wells of salvation, you'll never let it flow. The key is, what are we drawing from that well? Spring up, old well. Or young well, depending how old you are. Spring up, old well. Very young. Yes, Stacy's very young. Very young, Stacy. Spring up, old well. Come on. We need to, we need to, we need to speak to our well Times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord, yes? How we need to be in his presence, allowing him to fill us afresh. Not once in a while when we do a worship, a worship night or when we worship together in the morning, but his mercies are new every morning. Oh, that's the, that's the moment we draw on him and say, great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. And we just draw on the well of that salvation. Most nights when I pray, James, you're still awake by the time I finish, which is great. But we pray of every bone, every joint, every organ, our mind, our, our well-being. We declare God's word over our... We're, getting, we're over 50-ish. We're over that moment now. You know, spring up, middle-aged well. Bring up. I tell you what, don't wait until you're middle-aged well. Just declare God's word over and over and over again, declaring the goodness of God in the land of the living, that you will see his hand of faithfulness, that the eyes will not be dim and your natural force will not be abated. You speak the word over your life. Then you'll be like those young men that walk and those old men that keep running. Phil. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Jesus helps us see our priority. Seek first the kingdom. We are a kingdom church with kingdom nationalities, with kingdom people who love one another and love God. Let's keep the kingdom principles working in our house. Amen. Let's keep ourselves feeding on the goodness of God in our hearts. And he will make sure all those other things will be added to us in life. I'm going to finish with this scripture. It's about giving, getting our priorities right. Where is your priority? Is it to build God's house first and then our own? Is it to give God the best of our days, the best of our finance, the best of our strength, the best of who we are, our first fruit back to him? Or do we need to consider our ways? This scripture helps us consider our ways. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24. I'm going to read it from the Amplified. It says this, Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully, with all your heart, for consider how great are the things he's done for you. Now, that was written in the Old Testament, I get that. 
but it's there for a reason for us to apply in our lives today. Only fear the Lord, not in fear and trepidation or reverence for our God, who, who is so amazing. He's awesome. He's wonderful. He's the creator of all things. Let's stand in awe of him with reverent fear and serve him faithfully with all your heart. That's the key. Oh, you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do as I say. Here it says, fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. And this is the reason why. Consider how great are the things he's done for you. I'm just going to name one of them. He died on a cross for you. If he did nothing else, that is enough. If he had done nothing else, if he hadn't provided for us, if he hadn't got us a house when it looked like we were going to lose it, if he hadn't given us food on the table and we died with no food on the table, he had done enough, he had saved me from my sin. But consider how great are the things he's done. Oh, he provided a van when we had no money. You know, we needed a family where it was eight of us as a family. We didn't have a normal family. We didn't have a normal vehicle. And the Lord knew how to provide. And we were praying. And nobody was aware. And we walked down one morning to 5,050 pound notes in an envelope saying, buy yourself a van. But God. 5,000 pounds worth of 50 pound notes. I would have, I'd pay my mortgage off with that one. That's what we're believing for next. We, we had a conversation. Our ovens broke. Oven broke. And we said, Lord, you see the size of our family. One oven is too tight for the food that we're... You went to a prayer meeting that night and came back with enough money to buy two ovens. God sees what we need, but the heart isn't seeking his hand, it's seeking his face. Come on, let's not seek God for what we can get from him. Let's seek him for who he is. And he said, seek me first, and my kingdom, and my righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You may be here for the very first time and you may never have heard anything quite like this before. It may be new to you. You may not really understand it all. But you know this morning your heart has been touched by God. That There was something in the worship. There's been something in the room that you can't put your finger on it. But I want to let you know it's God, it's his presence, and it's his anointing that's here. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... We want to pray a prayer to connect you to God at the first point of call in your journey with him. It's very simple. And I'm going to ask everybody here in the room to join in as we pray this prayer. And at the end of it, I'm going to ask everyone to keep their eyes closed. And I'm going to ask you to pop up your hand if you prayed it sincerely. And maybe either for the first time or you're coming back to God just to respond to him. And then we're going to give you a Bible and some some material to go with that. So let's pray together. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Father, we 
we just come before you in this moment and we consider what you've done for us. You, you sent Jesus to die on a cross for the mistakes that we made even though he died all that time ago. The Bible's very clear. He died for our past, our present, and our future tense sins. So could you repeat this after me this morning? Jesus, I come to you today, and I thank you that you died on a cross in my place. You were separated from your Father because of my sin. But you rose from the dead to give me new life. And today, Jesus, I receive you into my heart. I acknowledge you as my Lord. And I receive you as my King. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. While every head is bowed, every eye closed. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I'm going to ask for a faith response. And that faith response is you initially putting up your hand and acknowledging Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to do so. One, two, three. If you want Jesus in your life, just pop up your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Is there anybody else? There's four hands that have gone up in this room this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you're coming back to him and you're saying, God, I need you and I want to walk with you all the days of my life. I'm going to count down from five. I'm not going to prolong this any longer. But any time in that time, thank you, I'll see that hand. Five, four, three, two, one. Father, we just thank you for the five hands that have gone up. Those that are just reassuring their heart of their journey with you, those that are responding out of love for you for the very first time. Father, we just give you the praise that you are touching hearts in this place and that you're moving on the hearts of your people all over this world. Father, I thank you, Lord, in heaven there is all rejoicing and we celebrate with heaven right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord.